Hi, this is Father Andrew, and this is the All Souls Catechesis Podcast. This year, our theme is Signs of Life, Reflections on Hope, and we'll be hearing from members of our community about where they found hope in the last year. Uh, and today we have with us Luann Huska. Um, for those of you who don't know, or for those of our listeners who don't know you, Luann, why don't you just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, so yeah, my name's Luann, and I live in West Chicago with my husband, Matt, and our three kids, um, Oliver seven, Miles is, or Finley's four, and Miles is almost two. So a lot of you all have probably seen our kids or recognize <laughs> them. <laughs> and um, we've been coming to All Souls since fall of 2017. So I guess it's going on almost four years now. It's so strange to, I don't know how time works anymore. Like 2017 <laughs> being four years ago, it, it's hard to Yeah, Yeah, all of 2020, I, I feel like I can't comprehend that we're in 2021. Like right. 2020 just seems like this big all-encompassing thing <laughs> that took over our lives. <laughs> yeah, I, and I can't tell if it's like, this is just what it's like to grow older and time all mashes together. But like February of, February and March of 2020 feel both like, yesterday like I remember lots of details and also mm. forever ago and I don't remember what it was like before then it's a yeah that's very strange yeah I know we've talked about um I think Christy was sharing um from a vestry email that we're hitting the one-year mark for a lot of yeah. things both for finding out about all the allegations against mm. Father Martin as well as pandemic so it, it feels like a a time of reckoning for sure yeah. like what's this year been about and all yeah. that we're just about I, I still remember that first weekend when we had to cancel services and that weekend was like the decision felt so weighty of like oh, I like have to make this decision and now looking back like well yeah of course we were going to do that and then everything shut down for for months mm -hmm. and it feels mm -hmm. like well that was an easy decision to make in hindsight but in the moment everything felt so weighty and massive and and yeah yeah. I know. <laughs> so anyways, but in light of all of that, um, yeah, where have you found hope this year? Let's just dive right in. Sure. So yeah, when you um, asked me, um, like invited all, a bunch of different people to engage in this catechesis conversation, I thought about um, the first thing that came to mind was um, last summer, like in the thick of the pandemic, I guess, still felt like we were um, in that like really scary stage of mm -hmm. the pandemic where everything was like Clorox wipe everything down that right. comes into your door and um, just don't even like walk near people. <laughs> so yeah. um, we went to a lot of forest preserves that summer and um, thinking about like the past year and what was life-giving and energizing and made me feel grounded and hopeful is like being out at these different forest preserves mm -hmm. with our kids. And um, we explored a ton of different ones that we hadn't been to before, um, which is really fun. Um, especially one of my favorites now is McKee Marsh, which is in West yeah. Chicago. I've met with a lot of different souls people <laughs> to take walks there in the past year. Um, and then we started to, I picked up this book at the library also at the beginning of last summer called um, Forage, Harvest, 
no, yeah, Forage Harvest Feast, yep, um, <laughs> which had all these great recipes for, you know, foraged foods. And so that got me down this whole rabbit hole of identifying plants. We downloaded a plant identification app, which unfortunately didn't include fungi. Oh, um, no. I, <laughs> it's probably a good re- <laughs> for good reason that right. they didn't want to, like, mislead people. <laughs> um but yeah, we had so much fun naming plants and then like figure out what was edible and coming home and trying all these different um, things with our new edible plants. Yeah. So foraging for food, where do you, do you just go through the forest preserves and like look at what stuff is there? Like how does one, I feel like I live in the suburbs. There is no place for me to find food. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. Where do you forage? Uh, yeah. Everywhere. Um like outside our front door to mm-hmm. the forest preserves and just taking walks. Um, there's a lot of things that grow just along sidewalks because the soil has been disturbed or people haven't been weeding or spraying their pesticides, yeah. which is or herbicides, which is probably a good thing in my yeah. opinion. But um, so I'm just helping people by getting rid of their weeds. So I found yeah. like purse lane along the side of the road. Um, lamb's quarter is a big one that um, comes up in a lot of like by fences and by the railroad tracks. And we have our neighbors last year cut down a lot of the underbrush in their yard, um, but then they didn't really like do anything about what was left. So Mm-hmm. Lots of lambs quarters came up. So if you ever want to harvest lambs quarters this so what, coming year, I'd be happy to share. Some. What What is lambs quarter? Like you're describing all these things. And if you had just like slipped in a Harry Potter herb there, I wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> so <laughs> what are these? Uh, they're kind of a cousin to spinach. Okay. And, um, they actually, some people think they're tastier than spinach. So I, I remember reading one foraging book and people, so this guy said, like my neighbor cuts down all his lamb's quarters, like that are weeds. And then he plants spinach, but then like, why don't you just go eat the lamb's yeah. quarters <laughs> that you don't have to do any work for instead of like yeah. toiling over like these spinach seeds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's So do you, do you forage and then like cook with that at home? Do you, do you sort of plan ahead of time? What am I going to go looking for? How does that um, like foraging meal prep process go? <laughs> um, well, once you know of a spot that has like a certain um, item, for example, at St. James farm, um, there's like a back part of the St. James farm that they have like their, um, like events area and there's this pavilion. Mm-hmm. Um, some people may be familiar with that. Um, there's a section where there's a fountain and in all the cracks, there's lots of purslane that grows up. So now that I know that I can think, well, like over like last summer, I would think, oh, if we um, like are kind of short on vegetables, I could maybe go here and grab mm-hmm. some purslane or just go out to the backyard and get some lamb's quarters. So it kind of becomes like a filler for me most of the time. Yeah. When there's, there's, I'm just kind of low on stuff. <laughs> yeah. So was it these, the, the books that really introduced you to these ideas? Sort of what, what sparked your interest in it in the, in the first place? Like how did this kind of come up? Was it just finding the book? Yeah, I mean, I've always, um, my mom is kind of a, like, gathered wild, wild things kind of mm-hmm. a person, too. So I've got that from her. Um, I st- So I wanted to mention a couple of books, um, besides, like, 
practical foraging books that mm-hmm. have been really influential for me for the past year or two. I think it was like last summer, the summer before that I read um, this book called The Overstory by um, Richard Powers. It's a, it's a novel that won like the National Book Award and mm-hmm. things like that. And I also have been reading a book recently called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmer, um, which is just about, um, I'll just read the subtitle to you, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants. So that's kind of where I got like the title that I submitted for this podcast, The Wisdom of Plants. Um, Both of these books and, and others have just gotten me on this trail of being attentive, I guess, Hmm. to the world around us um, and seeing that plants and God's creation can teach us lessons Hmm. and um, speak to us in and give us hope when there's um, maybe in times when we feel isolated or that um, we're really alone in our suffering. Um, And this is another book that I've been reading, uh, Stephen Boma Prediger's book, um, For the Beauty of the Earth is what it's called. And it's kind of an older book, but it was republished, uh, which says a lot, I suppose. I wanted to read this one quote. um, It's actually from another book that he's quoting called um, The Embers and the Stars. Um, So it talks about um, kind of the gift and the power of natural places and things. Um, The human alone surrounded by gleaming surfaces of his artifacts cannot bear the pain. He can only do, he can do that only when the grief can disperse, radiate out and be absorbed. Fellow humans and their works bearing the same burden cannot absorb it. To reconcile, that is what the forest does, silent and accepting as if God were present therein, taking the grief unto himself. Um, And a little bit further down, creation and its God can share the pain. That is the age-old wisdom of the book of Job. Um, When God speaks, the framework is different. He speaks not of pain, but of the vastness of creation. He's teaching Job the wisdom of bearing the pain that can neither be avoided nor abolished, but can be shared when there is a whole living creation to absorb it. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know if you want to respond to that. No, I, I just want to sit with that and spend an hour thinking about that. Yeah. I love that picture of like other people and artifacts can't absorb the the pain, but nature can't. I mean, sort of. I mean, I think of elementary school photosynthesis, right? Like just the, the carbon dioxide going into mm, plants. But even yeah. this idea that like nature itself is just waiting, is sort of porous and waiting to sort of absorb up mm-hmm. our grief. That's, I really like that picture. And I think sort of experientially, most of us experience that. Like a lot of people have said, have talked about forest preserves and, and walks in forest reserve. That seems to be a favorite mm. place it, mm-hmm. it seems like lots of people have loved in the last year like going on walks with people because that's one of the ways you can kind of be moving and 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 talk with other people mm-hmm. um, but I rarely hear people say like I loved going on a walk through downtown Wheaton like, <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to just go I wanted to just go walk in the you know in the suburbs even I was thinking I went on a walk with Father James a week ago we met at church and we went on a walk um, mm. with his dog Bean and like 
there was tons of snow on the prairie path and we mm-hmm. could have chosen to just walk in those back streets next to the church mm-hmm. but we didn't we like trudged through snow to go yeah. on the prairie path instead mm-hmm. um i don't know i think it speaks a lot to that to that very idea that there's something about being in in creation that absorbs the pain mm-hmm. and also i think provides hope um i think about the verse in Romans 8, um, you know, creation awaits with eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed and um, creation subject to like groaning mm-hmm. and like sort of like the labors of God being wrapped up in the, the suffering of creation, um, which was also looking forward to its deliverance, mm-hmm. like along with the children of God, um, like liberation and freedom. So, um, that, that sense of being um, accompanied both in our suffering, but also like the, the work of God encompasses all of creation, like mm-hmm. the redemption encompasses everything. Um, yeah, that's just so powerful for me when I, um, especially in like the age of like so much ongoing news about climate crisis and theological mm-hmm. destruction, like, where is God in this is like a constant question that I'm asking. Um, And I feel like, um, you know, that I guess that's another reason that I started going to reading these ecological type of books is I, I don't, I don't know sometimes where to find it within the Christian tradition, like find an answer to that question. Um, And I like the book I mentioned braiding sweetgrass is by an indigenous, um, author mm-hmm. who isn't speaking from a Christian perspective, but she speaks about um, kind of like having conversations with plants. Um, and yeah. like when she goes to forage, she asks for their permission before mm-hmm. she um, takes something because um, it's just like a way of her honoring and respecting that, which is given. Like it's not ours just to take everything that yeah. we want of um and so I, I, I've really resonated with um, things that she's had to say. And I thought, is that biblical? Like the, the old yeah, Wheaton question yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, is the like, um, you know, she talks about like the animacy of nature and um, yeah, just that there's like the ways that um, creation, like living things, other living things, she calls them more than human beings mm. <laughs> rather than non-human beings. Other living beings are speaking to us. It's just that we don't hear them all the time, but mm. we're just like so inundated with other noises that we don't hear them. So yeah. yeah, I would love to explore some of that. Like, is there any kind of biblical basis for this sort of like back and forth with the creative yeah. world? I distinctly remember one time there was a an edition. I forget which publisher or translation, but it was a it was an an intent to step in the direction of being mindful of creation care in scripture. And like instead of a red letter Bible, anything that talked about creation was like in green text. Oh, interesting. Um, and I just remember it was you know that that's kind of like a ham fisted response. But there is this mm-hmm. sense that like the Old Testament just talks so frequently about, about creation speaking to us, testifying right. to us, saying, mm-hmm. telling us things about who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about uh, how sort of in the picture of, of creation, 
there's this distortion of creation care that turns into dominion. So instead of, mm-hmm. instead of being a gardener, instead of tending to, to this thing and cultivating it, there's a sense of like dom- dominion and overstepping and sort of crushing mm-hmm. um, that, that happens instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know if you've ever watched the, the planet earth series that the BBC, yeah. but there's one episode that's about like, creatures in cities and just sort of mm-hmm. as as the suburbs expand as cities expand yeah um just sort of you know animals find a way they find a way to continue to live and adapt in there um mm-hmm. and it, it's interesting you talking about like finding weeds along sidewalks because when I think about mm-hmm. even just this theme of like signs of life I think about like a plant breaking through the concrete yeah. right in the uh-huh. sense of like yeah. there's something else there um, yeah and it's often like in the Bible, often, like, like you mentioned, the plant breaking through the concrete, it's like this metaphorical image of like, maybe we think of it as a metaphor for like what's happening in our own lives. But, um, and, and in the Bible too, like, there's a lot of metaphors using mm-hmm. natural things, but maybe it's more than just metaphor, you know, maybe there's yeah. actual things to be learned just by paying attention to the things themselves. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that there's something that we learn about God by observing that. That's there was um, there's a book I found. I was starting to get interested in in theologians who talk about who talk about the sciences. Um, and T. F. Torrance mm-hmm. is sort of known as this guy who speaks mm-hmm. about this. Um, and so I read a, a book of lectures that he gave at Fuller in the late '70s. And one some of what he said about the sciences were not just like, "Hey, we need to be at war with them," but but maybe mm-hmm. if if God is reality, if, if God is where the thing from which all reality flows and anything we learn about the world as it is tells us something about God. Cause anything mm-hmm. it's that whole, like all truth is God's truth, but yes. sort of all truth tells us something about God. And so when we observe and look at how, how things grow, how the world exists, maybe there's something that that can be part of informing us about who God is and what God is like and, and how he cares for things. Mm-hmm. I think there's also like weeds growing through stuff as we deal with with pain and trauma and and grief i feel like there's always this balance between giving voice to it as it exists and not being dismissive of it and at the same time like stepping back and they're sort of like look nature doesn't care like it's the ecclesiastes thing about like mm. one day we'll all die and we'll just be part of the ground again and, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit you know you can go too far that way but there's a right. freedom in seeing god continues to plants continue to grow god's goodness is still there um god was and is and ever will be and i don't the the pain that i'm dealing with is very real for me but it won't it's not the big narrative um Mm -hmm. there's something about going into nature that sort of allows me to put my own life in perspective i feel like and and seeing Mm -hmm. stuff growing and god providing and you know I, i think i think about um Jurassic Park about uh, Jeff Goldblum's character saying nature finds a way. Um, Mm -hmm. But if we believe in the God of creation, God finds a way to sort of for life to continue. Yeah, that's, that's definitely what I want to (laughs) believe. And and then there's like the part of me that's reading all the news stories about um, coral reefs bleaching and the deforestation in 
um, South, you know, Brazilian, you know, all the Amazon rainforest that is like, wow, but humans, like you mentioned the word dominion, humans have really like taken the place of God pretty mm-hmm. much in the, the, the whole story, or we've, we think we have taken yeah. the place of God. And so there's like an, an acknowledgement, both of like, this is really bad, but then I think there has to be a, like a Christian, um, sort of eschatological vision Mm. that um okay this is this is not our story like we didn't start this story and we're not going to end this story either so yeah but yet we still are very responsible like we can't get out of that (laughs) yeah how how to figure out that stewardship i remember (laughs) i i read a friend of mine once posted something about um suburban lawns and the idea of having like a cultivated piece of grass this crop on your property mm-hmm. is actually relatively new like for yeah. for most of human existence people didn't have lawns yeah um, and I love that for a number of reasons including that it gave me excuse to cut my grass less frequently um and, <laughs> and then one year we didn't cut early on and then like there were some like rabbits that moved in and so we didn't want to cut the grass because we wanted mm-hmm. the rabbits to have a little bit of space mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> one time uh friends or the Ericsons were, were coming over and I remember I think it was Audrey Erickson as she was running into our house, like through our, through our front yard was like, it's like a meadow. And I thought, <laughs> you know, other people might be bothered by that, but I actually love it. Um, yeah. And in some ways, like there is something really great about that. Like there's something really great about, you know, yeah. I'm not sure my neighbors necessarily loved it, but there's something great about like letting, letting things happen and, and refusing to intervene saying, I'm just going to let this take its course because Mm-hmm. because this is good and grat like the the plants that make up our lawns actually are healthier when we cut them less frequently when they grow a little bit longer because otherwise they have really shallow roots and mm-hmm. I mean the more you learn about that the more you realize there are there are ways that we control nature because we like it a particular way but then there are ways to sort of take care of of nature and still have mm-hmm. you know we don't have to have like gravel front yards, but there's a way that you think, okay, yeah. what does it look like to, I mean, the, the word stewardship comes up, right? Um, yeah. It's a part of it. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of, there's a story in the Braiding Sweetgrass book about um, she, this, the author is a botanist. And so mm-hmm. one of her, she gets one of her graduate students to do her dissertation on, um, different ways of picking sweetgrass, which is a, a plant that's used in a lot of indigenous Native American mm. societies. And they noticed that sweetgrass was declining in certain areas. Um, and so they they thought it might have to do with the way it was being harvested, whether it was being like carefully pinched off at mm. the at the, the where it grows out of the ground or if it was being pulled with the roots and all. But actually what they found um through like two years of just counting grass and watching grass grow, <laughs> which I just love like this image of just sitting there in the grass, like, right. <laughs> measuring how, how, taking how notes. Grown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what they found was that um, the places where the sweet grass was diminishing was actually areas where it wasn't being harvested. Hmm. Um, so both methods of harvesting, the sweet grass was growing better in those areas because, and it's actually something I learned from my mom with growing garlic chives is that the more you cut it, 
mm-hmm. up to a certain extent, the more it grows. Cause like that cutting like produces this like reaction within the plant of like sending out more runners and stems yeah. and shoots. Um, and then there's like more room for like the new growth to come instead of having like the old grass be there and then fall over. So I guess all that to say it, it made me think of what you're saying with your meadow because there's yeah. there's like an element of human caretaking that can be good like mm-hmm. we can we can like be in relationship with the rest of creation and with the, these all these plants around us that doesn't have to be like us crushing it um but that our presence can actually benefit um yeah. growth in kind of like a symbiotic relationship and that's that's something that you don't hear a lot from like there's like this whole like strain of environmentalism that's like humans are bad. Like right. the best thing you can do for the environment is just go and kill yourself. Like right. there's like that line of thinking. Yeah. Um, and that's like really sad, right? <laughs> when you think about like, and it, I don't think it fits with the the creation narrative and um, the word dominion. Um, and then I was reading um, again, this book, Stephen Boma Prediger's book for the beauty of the earth. He talks about how like true, um, ruling is like the example of Jesus as the servant mm-hmm. king. So, and then there's like a verse, um, Genesis two fifteen, where God, you know, commissions Adam and Eve to till and keep the earth, which mm-hmm. is like, um, you know, you can translate it as like serving and protecting the earth, which, so I see that as like a really hopeful way to look at where we can go when we think about like what's happened with our climate and mm-hmm. um, like destruction of ecosystems that and it doesn't mean we have to like, you know, commit mass suicide in order right. for like the earth to get better. Um, yeah, that there's a different way forward. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that it's, it's a different posture and it is that like, Philippians to Jesus servant leader posture thing that says doing things not for my gain but for for the gain of the other that there's a way in which um in which we're called especially in relation to creation not to say what can I extract out of this but what can I what can I do to help this grow um Mm -hmm. my mind actually jumps I've been slowly making my way through um an economics book that that Jason Long recommended called Why Nations Fail. And hmm. I'm very early on, but basically they they chart historical progress and why certain nations do better than others. And they're, they're I, th- I think I understand the thesis. I'm not an economist, so I am, <laughs> I am out of my depth, yeah. but they talk about extractive systems versus like inclusive systems. And basically hmm. places that, countries that, that have enough regulation to keep it from being total sort of anarchy, mm-hmm. but not but not a system that simply is about empowering uh, a sort of oligarchy or a sort of a chosen few, but instead are sort of open for, for sort of, they talk about creative disruption and sort of systems mm. that are out to be creative and, and work well with like just enough regulation to allow it to work. Mm. Um, and that to me, like I think about gardens, those are ones, mm-hmm. gardens that do well are ones where things are pruned, but where there is enough, um, freedom for the plants to grow as, as they're meant to, but still someone who's keeping an eye on it and saying, what can I do? What effort can I put in to allow this thing to, to grow well? Um, mm-hmm. It's why I'm a terrible gardener because there's a remarkable amount of persistence <laughs> involved. There's a constant watching yeah. and do I need to put this plant in the light and things like that. Um, right. 
Yeah, it's really humbling. I, uh, we moved into our house in West Chicago five years ago, almost six years ago now. And I had all of these um, magnificent plans, like the first winter mm -hmm. we were there for what we were going to do for our gardens. And then um, we started putting beds um, out, like making some raised beds. And then the first year they did okay, but then like each year since then, I've gotten like less and less yield. And I've realized that number one, like we have a really shady garden. And mm. number two, we have a few walnut trees in our garden, which um, they they produce this substance called juglone that mm -hmm. kind of poisons the ground around them oh, okay. pretty much and keeps other things from doing really well. Um, there's only certain plants that are compatible with being grown under walnut trees. So all that to say, it's, it's like a really humbling thing to like have my plans for what I want to grow in the earth. And then like the ground kind of has like a mind of its own. Like we always, yeah. Matt and I've been saying like, we, we just got to let what, what grows here grow. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's like, I think that's the best route to take. Like we tried to grow raspberries. Like we, we like planted raspberry bushes and they just all died. And then like a couple years later, um, in a different section of our yard, like a bunch of wild raspberry bushes just popped up out of nowhere and they're doing great and we did nothing. Um, so it is this like, this like sense of respect for what's already there. Um, but also like trying to like gain knowledge so that you can do well by what's already there and really honor what's already there. Like we have a maple tree in our front yard and I noticed that there's like spots on all the leaves and I know nothing about tree care at all. Right. Like I am so <laughs> ignorant about what trees need or like, you know, there's all these tree care services out there and I've, I've never consulted them. So I just have, I have an uphill learning curve as well. <laughs> yeah. It, it's amazing as an adult, you sort of assume like I'll move into a house and I'll just like, I know how planting works. I put a, a tree <laughs> yeah. in the soil and then it, it grows. It, yeah. It's amazing how little, how you do a little bit of work, like, okay, how do I take care of a tree? And you just suddenly appreciate why there are people who are arborists and why there are people who specialize in this and just how much you don't know about things. And it, mm -hmm. it kind of makes me think about the need to be open-handed about, I mean, like you said, sort of let what grows grow. Um, we so frequently think we know how to get the ends that we want. We think we know yeah. this is what, what it yeah. takes. And it might be that both one, we don't understand which means lead to which ends, but also mm -hmm. the ends that we think we want might not even be good ends in the first place. And they yeah. might have consequences we don't think about. Yeah. There's a level of open-handedness that I think is, um, it, it's kind of humbling because I think mm -hmm. we generally want to believe that we know, we know what the good is and we know what, to, how to mm -hmm. get there. Um, mm -hmm. My mind even jumps to last week when um, Deacon Joy and Angela were talking about perpetual felicity and just mm. Angela at one point brought up like sometimes being faithful leads to bad ends, but that doesn't mean it's not being faithful. And there's something I don't know, maybe as, as 21st century suburban people, we sort of think we, we know what a good life is and mm -hmm. we're committed to doing whatever we need to, to get it. And there's, mm -hmm. I don't know, plants, weeds growing up next to sidewalks and that's what a different kind of flourishing looks like. But there's a lot of letting go to be open to that kind of a, to a different kind of life. Yeah. Yeah. There's, 
there's risk involved in letting go of our our plans or our carefully crafted plans. And mm-hmm. I think about like, going back to foraging, like I think maybe like an, an end that we all want is to be provided for and to be food secure. Like we mm-hmm. want to know where our next meal comes from. Um, and that's why we plant gardens. And now we've got monocultures of like just swaths of land that are like just according to our like specific desires or what we think of as a good piece of land and how a piece of land should bear fruit and produce and serve our needs. And then, um, you know, then you, then you have like this foraging community and the, you know, the wisdom from indigenous peoples that um, things things come up in unexpected places and you find sustenance in Mm -hmm. unexpected places and you might not know where the next meal is going to come from, but there's like, I think that's something that I've learned from foraging and just in general, like observing nature, like, you know, there's the verse um, that I think it's Jesus says, like he makes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Mm -hmm. Um, And he, there's like a, a sort of like extravagant abundance in creation when you start to like pay attention to everything that's edible and that you could actually use but we don't see it as useful because we we have certain ideas for what useful looks like yeah. to us and um yeah it just requires um being again going back to the idea of attentiveness like paying attention to what's there and and realizing there's so many lessons to be learned by just paying attention. Yeah. And there's a receptiveness too. Like there's a sense of like, I'm not going to come in here and and try and find the thing that I need. Cause even mm-hmm. foraging could be, okay, mm-hmm. I, I would like to have this type of food right. so search until yeah. I find that type of food. Yeah. But there's a way that you go and say like, what type of food is there and what might I, what might I discover and, and what things might be there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's such a difficult posture to have though <laughs> when we have I mean you speak of monoculture and and I think you were using it in an ecological term but I just think about like mm. white picket fence suburban monoculture oh, yeah. <laughs> like of, in fact I think yeah. somewhere in my somewhere on my shelves like my dad's cousin wrote some book called monoculture and it was about um mm. it was about the the, the church and everything being in terms of transactions that we think about all of life in terms of transactions and in terms of what can I buy? What can I get? There's a distance Mm -hmm. to it. Um, And that is, it's so hard to break out of that because there's so many mindsets that, that sort of are cultural assumptions or or ways we assume to do things. It's, it's why reading indigenous voices suddenly breaks you out of things. It's why um, a lot of times I find that like, people don't always recognize that diversity of thought and diversity of opinions is a goal, not just for a checkbox, but is actually really important and valuable because it reminds us that, that so many things that we assume to be normative aren't actually normative. It's just what we've grown up with Mm -hmm. Um, and what value there is in bringing other voices and bringing other perspectives to things because it helps us understand things better. Um, Yeah. But then you have to be willing to allow your, allow your plans to be challenged and allow your assumptions to be challenged. Um, and that's, that's disruptive and difficult and, and nobody mm-hmm. likes that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at the same, 
at the same time, because we've experienced so much disruption in the past year, I think it would put us in a, a better position to like receive new ideas yeah. and new input and change our paradigms because yeah, but we, we've already been shaken up. So <laughs> what's a little bit more shaking up? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and that's hard too, because sometimes sometimes you get enough disruption you're like okay that is that's all the that's all the disruption I can handle right now yeah let me, let me cling to what I need to and figuring out how to just even personally and emotionally manage all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, yeah that's a whole other that's mm-hmm. a whole other, other rabbit trail as it were yeah um, so, yeah. so you meant I think we've already talked about it some but you talked about about hope maybe it, Tell me more about what makes this hopeful for you. Why is it, why does, we've talked about like climate disaster and, and, and taking over and destroying indigenous species and, and things like that. So, <laughs> yeah. so where is the hope in this? Where are you finding it to be inspiring? Uh-huh. Um, well, I mentioned just that sense of solidarity with mm-hmm. creation that, um, that I'm not alone in experiencing the pain. Um, I think there's a sense of hope when when the pain is shared, um, yeah. when that makes the burden lighter. I mean, there's like biblical, you know, verses about you know sharing your burdens, um, bearing one another's burdens. Um, so that gives me hope. Um, it gives me a sense of like it makes things less heavy at the mm-hmm. very least, which puts me primes me to be more hopeful <laughs> if not if I'm not all the way there at least um if I'm being honest yeah. <laughs> and um I guess also just I think I can get really caught up in like the big you know the big like everything is really going badly on a global mm-hmm. scale and then when I can really narrow my focus to okay, what's going on in my backyard or what's going on with the DuPage River or, wow, there's lots of awesome forest preserves. Somebody actually like at some point in the history of DuPage County, like had to come up with where are we going to like designate forest preserves and there's political will involved in doing that. And so when I like kind of start to pay attention to like the nitty gritty of like what's going around me and my ecological system. Um, it, it, it helps me to kind of like bring um, a more like human perspective on it. Like I'm here right now in West Chicago and this is what I can do. And this is how God is working. And I can partner with God in that I can, I can make my backyard um, a little bit better for like the native species that live here. Like I don't have to get mad at the squirrels all the time. Like right. I can live in, I don't know if I can do that. Actually, I have a very hard time living in harmony with the squirrels, but I would like <laughs> to do that. <laughs> so those are kinds of things that um, just allow me to um, bring the big picture down to a little picture where it seems yeah. a little more hopeful. Yeah, there is this, there's this problem with being online people where like every problem feels like it's immediate, but it's actually this, decontextualized like other thing that that feels massive um and there's something really encouraging about like well what's going on in my actual backyard that I can actually engage in Mm -hmm. um 
because we sometimes think we're engaging with broader issues, but all we're doing is just getting worked up about <laughs> yeah. things that don't affect us. And like, yeah, we can care about issues, but not actually talk about our, our neighbor or interact with our neighbor and know them better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that I think is really encouraging and hopeful when we're willing to engage in it. But I think some of that requires, I mean, like you said, being attentive and actually going on walks in, in our own neighborhood mm-hmm. and actually noticing our own backyard so that we can see that. Because if all your time is spent just looking at, at these macro level problems that we don't actually have any agency with, mm-hmm. um, but, but feel immediate, even if they don't touch our lives directly, mm-hmm. it can, yeah, it, it can end up getting us into a place where we just feel you feel impotent and you feel like I can't do yeah. anything about this. Mm-hmm. And then it just stirs up that, that anger um, mm-hmm. or frustration or, or, or loss of hope. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the word you mentioned agency is, is kind of what I'm getting at is um, how do we regain a sense of agency in the, in the big problems that we get like bombarded with on a regular yeah. basis and yeah and so for me that's taking walks and foraging and cultivating things in my backyard um, in yeah. my garden there's almost even a, a an additional trust of god in that to to say all right god like i can't control this and but i can do these things that you've asked me to do and i i trust the bigger things to you i don't i don't mm-hmm. need to have control over everything but i can cultivate I can cultivate this plant here and I can do this, this other thing. And I can, you know, receive sustenance from you from, from, you know, the, the, I'd already forget the name of it. The, the lambs, <laughs> what's the lamb thing? What's the lamb's quarter, the lamb's quarters in, which yeah. is better than spinach next yeah. to my, next to my sidewalk. Yes. And if anyone at all souls wants to try it, I will be happy to distribute lamb's quarters at church yeah. someday. <laughs> There's so much of it growing in our neighbor's yard. (laughs) And once you learn to identify it, that attentive piece is so big, like learning to actually look for it. We've got a bird feeder in front of our, in front of our front window. That's a future episode. Joy is going to talk about, about what she's learned from watching the birds. Mm. And there's, um, and like, there's all kinds of bird species that we've, we've met now. You get the apps that that can find things. And that's really, that's so interesting as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, um, I think to yeah, the word faithfulness comes to mind when you're talking about what what can I do? Um, yeah, that but it requires us, like you said, to step out of step out of being in front of the screen mm-hmm. to actually go um, meet our neighbors or go to that town hall meeting. Like I, so I. Uh, I started thinking about like, okay, like local things. And I emailed our um, state representative, Karina Villa about Mm -hmm. some, um, um, it was like, I I was, I was looking at plastic or uh, microfiber filters on washing machines Mm -hmm. because a lot of um, our like synthetic clothing, the fibers get washed um, down the drain and then they end up in the oceans. Um, Apparently one third of our, um, plastic pollution in oceans comes from um, like laundry washing. Oh, wow. Clothes, like, you know, fibers from our yeah. clothes. That seems like a lot, but um, so don't, you know, don't quote me on that. Right. <laughs> but, 
um anyways all that to say i i was like what what can i do about this beyond like there's like the okay i can do my one little thing which is i could go like install a filter on my washing machine so that it filters out those microfibers which is great um it's one way of being faithful but then i'm like but that doesn't affect like the millions of other households that are washing microfibers down into the drain um so I emailed Karina Villa, um, our state representative, and then she emailed me back and I was like, wow, like I, I can do something like I'm yeah. speaking to someone in power and um, my voice is being heard. And she invited me to join this ad- environmental advisory committee that she has with um, the other the state representative, Mara Hirschauer and her. So um, I was like, well, that means I'd actually have to go to a meeting and like, yeah. <laughs> like, talk about these things and it might be kind of boring and I really don't want to do that. I'd rather just write about it. You know? <laughs> so, so yeah, faithfulness is um, challenging. It just, I mean, everybody, it's going to look different for everybody, but I think back to like the macro micro thing, mm-hmm. I think it's both. And I think there's, when we start to do things on a micro level, then I think when we start to pay attention, we start to see patterns. And yeah. so we start to see why, why are all these maple trees like in my community having these brown spots on them? What mm-hmm. does that mean or whatever? So then you start to ask questions and that leads you to bigger questions. So yeah, it goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I know that's, that's always so hard of figuring out like people want to be part of it. We like those inspiring stories of like local, per, local, child changes the world because they do this thing about plastic <laughs> yeah. straws right yeah but but that only you're right none of that happens unless someone pays attention and and looks at one issue and and cares about that one issue and does the thing that's in front of them mm-hmm. um yeah the thing that's in front of them right the next right yeah. thing <laughs> the next right thing that one extra step that's yeah oh but i'd rather watch netflix all day much easier <laughs> yeah. to do to do that and sometimes it's it's important to watch netflix just to be sane yeah. <laughs> I think netflix has gotten a lot of people through this pandemic so i don't want to you know diss netflix either right. i thank god for for netflix and entire and and all of west wing being online that i can watch through all the episodes <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, we've been going through, um, so we're like really late to the Star Wars party, but we're going oh, through all the Star yeah. Wars episodes. There's, there's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then we're like, what if the pandemic's over before we get to finish the Star Wars? Right. <laughs> <laughs> then we're going to be missing out on this whole pandemic experience <laughs> or the Mandalorian or the crown yeah, or whatever yeah. people are watching. <laughs> there's a whole conversation for another podcast about like, whether or not you have to participate in the cultural moment and the feeling of being left out of the cultural moment. Yeah. But, but yeah. we'll save that for another time. <laughs> <laughs> anything else, I want to make sure I, I get everything. Anything else that you had that you've learned from plants? Mm. Um yeah, I guess um I would just talk about resilience mm. that um you know, I guess going back to that image of the trees or the, the sprout going, growing through the cracks that, mm. um, or, or I told you the story about our neighbors cutting down like all this underbrush um, in our side yard, which we were really unappreciative of because um, then we ha- used to have this really secluded fire pit area because of all their brush. And now like, 
we have like a clear sight all the way to the road on the side of our yard, which doesn't feel so secluded and private, but, um, but then the, you know, in the summer, the lambs quarters grew up and, um, that gives me hope that, um, like you said, nature finds a way Mm -hmm. or animals find a way. Um, um, so I think we have a lot to learn, um, from, from plants as our teachers for like kind of that steadfastness of being, you know, being where you are, um, and being rooted and grounded. And I think about the Ephesians, um, passage about like being rooted and grounded and love and, and how that can, um, yeah, that can provide a way when there's no way, like trees get cut down. I think there's like a, a passage in Job where he talks about um, the tree gets cut down and then there's a shoot that grows Mm -hmm. out of that. So it's like sort of like resurrection or the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies and that's how new life comes. So there's all these beautiful images of life and death and kind of this cycle of life and the way that God's purpose and order is worked into um, Mm -hmm. the way that nature works that we can learn from. Um, Yeah. So I just love to think about nature, both like physically, directly, but also in metaphorical ways too. Yeah, yeah. I I've thought a lot about the people that I've admired, um, or the people that that I look up to, and a lot of them are people that just seem to have incredibly deep roots. Like mm-hmm. there's something about you talk to them and they just they don't they seem unflappable. Like whatever mm-hmm. comes up, they don't seem to be too quick to react. They're not like. Mm-hmm. That they're they're not ones who um when a crisis comes up they they feel flustered they just feel like they have enough give and they just have these deep roots and they're able to withstand it and i think a lot about mm-hmm. i mean sometimes i think about skyscrapers in that front but they're just mm-hmm. skyscrapers are just borrowing from nature's idea of those deep yeah. plants that just mm-hmm. can withstand that and they they can they they have something that they're nourished from and that's what allows them to kind of do that um yeah yeah when i was kind of thinking about this conversation i i thought about um the there's lots of um imagery of trees in the bible of trees planted by streams of living water like mm-hmm. psalm one um and then the tree of life in revelations yeah. which is planted by the river um and the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And yeah, I think that's a beautiful way to end just to think about like, yeah, what nourishes us and what gives us life and how can we really send our roots down deep to those places? Wow. That's a great note to end on. Let me, there's a a collect here. Our book of common prayer has a a collect for joy in God's creation. So let me, Mm. let me maybe end with that. Sounds good. Oh, heavenly father, you have filled the world with beauty. Open our eyes to behold your gracious hand in all your works, that rejoicing in your whole creation, we may learn to serve you with gladness. For the sake of him through whom all things were made, your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Luann. Thanks, Thanks everybody, for listening.